morning. Uh, my name is Mickey Rainey, and I am one of the pastors here at Island Community Church. Um, Barrett and Michelle are on the road, so be praying for them as they travel. Oh, that figures. There we go. Um, but uh, so glad to see you this morning. Um, first of all, you guys look so rested. Everybody feel feeling good? If you vote for me for president on Tuesday, I will make sure every Saturday has 25 hours in it and let them figure out how that works. So uh, it is good to have you here this morning. Um, now, some of you are going to start doing the math here, right? So Barrett's out. Brooke just read a passage on giving. There's little giving cards in your seat, and you're starting to think, and Mickey's preaching. So we're either going to hear about the building or money, right? Well, I got news for you. That's not true. You're going to hear about the building and money today. <laughs> totally different than what we've done in the past. So uh, what I want to do is go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm short, but I'm not this short. Let me pull this up a little bit. Oh, I'm not that tall either. Sorry. All right. We're going to be looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and the title today, if you're keeping track or, or you care, is Sowing for the Bountiful Harvest. And uh, I will say, to my defense, and Robbie's going to back me up on this, I was actually kind of slated today. We knew Barrett was going to be traveling, and I was going to pick anything but money in the building. Amen? Amen. Amen. I, I was going to preach on ducks. I didn't care. Just anything except for money or the building. And, uh, and I had a lot to choose from. We got the election coming up, so we could have looked at, you know, citizenship and your faith or politics. Uh, honestly, one that I was leaning toward was with the fallback, was talking about Sabbath. You want to see me get excited about preaching about rest, you know, that's, that's one of my favorite topics. And so uh, the Sabbath, just being able to relax and spend time away from the labors of the world and spend time relaxing in God. But the reality is our church is just at a really unique place right now. And, uh, you know, a few weeks ago we had the opportunity, I, I was up here and we were kind of talking about, you know, what's the purpose of these holy places in Scripture. And we looked at, you know, the temple, and we, and we looked at uh, some of the different, uh, you know, the locations for um, uh, prayer of the altar and things like that, and we talked about the importance of that. And if we were going to step forward as a church to take advantage of this offer for the space, that we wanted to make sure we were doing it God's way and we weren't doing it selfishly, that we were making sure we were kind of drawing up boundaries around how we were going to use that space. And so we did. We came together, and then we actually went to the facility, met there, and then in a special business meeting following the service, we voted to step forward in faith and take advantage of that. Well, that's, that's great. Now, that's a, a great first step. Now, just so you know, we're in the process of you know, working through the design and trying to figure out what this looks like, obviously working through cost, and we've started some fundraising, but technically we really haven't done a formal fundraising campaign. And those of you that have wrote checks are going, what? You know, yes, we have. We've been raising a lot of money. But uh, we, we're going to talk today about what we have left to do and kind of the roles that we have when the, when the church has a special need. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, 9. So don't panic. I think you'll uh, agree with what you see, and I think you'll uh, like what you see as we look through this. So first slide, I guess, as we look at this chapter, there's this idea of harvest in general. And candidly, as, as I was looking at it, and as you kind of read the little pastoral letter in your handout, I wanted to kind of make the point as, before we start, this is really kind of a foreign concept to us, you know, the idea of a harvest. How many, just out of total curiosity, how many of you grew up in a rural area, not the city? I'm one of them. More than I expected. All right. Anybody actually, like especially in your younger years, do some farm work? Yeah, fewer. Yeah, I, I worked rice fields. I bailed alfalfa, a little bit of corn fields. So I've I've done some work, and I'm familiar with this. I did grow up in a small town, Dexter, Missouri, a little small town up in uh, southeast Missouri, and so this idea of this agricultural environment is something I'm familiar with. But even with that experience. We don't go through the harvest. We have our harvest festivals, but if I want whatever that double cheeseburger is, I drive through, I pay my you know, couple bucks, and I get my double cheeseburger, right? If I want to go get really just about anything, whether it's in season or not, 
I go to the grocery store. They have stuff lined up that's been shipped from all over the world, and I can get it anytime I want. We don't have this idea of having to invest in the springtime in laboring throughout the summer for this big payday in the fall where we are now. We just don't experience that, just part, not part of our current culture. But you have to have that in mind as you're reading this passage because it's the metaphor that we're using here. It's part of the metaphor that we see in the Scripture. What I wanted to do is put that picture in your mind, and as we work our way through chapter 9, we're going to look at kind of three sections, and we're going to look at, to get to the harvest, what does it take? What does it take for the leaders of a church? What does it take for the church as a whole? And what's God's role? So we're going to take it a little bit at a time. As I always do, I ran this uh, sermon and my slides and everything by my wife, and she you'll see there's a lot of scripture today, fewer stories and jokes and, and a lot of scripture. And she said, you're going to have to take it slow. This is Paul. You know, it's thick. And I said, yeah, but i got to cover like two chapters. And she said, it doesn't matter. It's Paul. It's thick. So, uh, so we are going to take our, take our time and, and do it a section at a time. So let's go ahead and jump into it. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 1. The passages, I don't have the passage sections on the screen in, in a whole, so don't get confused as you look up. I only have kind of the little pieces we're going to look at. So if you have your Bible with you, or you should have some pew Bibles around if you need one, we're going to read out of, this, out of the Bible first, and then we'll kind of take, take you through the points. All right, verse 1. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about, to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you. For being so confident, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not an exaction. Okay, so first of all, I just want to make sure you're seeing that, you know, what we've seen so far. You have Paul, who's a a missionary. He's traveling around planting churches and helping support these churches. And I'll use this map over here. And you have the Corinthians, right? That's the letter. This is a letter to the Corinthians, all right? And it's in this area of Achaia. And I looked up the Greek, and I looked up the phonetic spelling, and that's as close as I can get on what that's supposed to sound like, all right? So Achaia, it's one and the same. So when they say Achaia, he basically means, you know, same folks, Corinthians. It's like, hey, the letter to Memphis. I said the Tennesseans are doing great, okay? It's one and the same. Then up in the north... You have Macedonia, which is a separate group. Think of it kind of like a sister church down the road, okay? And so Paul is coming, you know, from Macedonia toward Corinth. He expects that some of these Macedonians, because they're so excited about ministry, you can kind of see that in the letter, especially we're going to dip back into chapter 8 as we go, and you're going to see that they're all excited, and they're kind of new to this. And he expects that they're going to come. And what's Paul been doing? He's been bragging. Look, man, these Corinthians, they got it together. Okay? They got it together. They are filled with the Spirit. They're very giving. In fact, they are preparing already a gift, a financial gift, a monetary gift, to support this ministry. And so he's been bragging on what great Christians these guys are. So he sends a letter and some messengers ahead that says, Hey, look, we're headed your way. I've kind of been talking you up a little bit because I believe in you. So, like, be ready. You know, don't, don't let us stroll in and, you know, nobody's expecting us, right? So that, that's, the, that's the idea. So a couple things we want to look at is when we're looking at the role of the leader, because I kind of see that emphasized in this first passage. First, it's our role as leaders to encourage. When I say our, that's not necessarily the pastoral team. There are leaders that sit in pews as well. There's all sorts of leaders within this church. But the role of the leadership, whether it's a small group leader, okay, some of our, our uh, 
ministry leaders for our touch points in the community or your staff. Part of our role is to encourage. It is good that we see in that verse we just read a couple things. Number one, he starts out and says, look, it's superfluous me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. I can tell you that standing up here, I feel the same way. I don't feel like I have to step up this morning and give you some pep talk about how it's necessary to give to ministry. I just don't. We've, and I've, I've said this the last few meetings, we've been able to raise thousands, tens of thousands of dollars in a matter of weeks. Guys, this community, this, this family, this church family, has already proven itself faithful in giving, both in terms of our general budget, special needs. We've given to orphanages above and beyond what people expected. I just don't feel like I'm in a position where I have to do that. You know, as a, as a group at least, we've proven ourselves faithful in that way. And that's wonderful. Just so you know, as we go out into the community and let other churches know about this need, we always try to emphasize that this church has stepped forward in faith, not just in terms of a decision, but in terms of giving. And when we tell people what we've been able to do in a short period of time, they are amazed, guys. And so we're kind of in the same situation as Paul, where we get to go out into our sister churches and brag on you guys for this response. So you ought to feel good about that, and I think that's appropriate for us to do that, to encourage other folks in the family of faith about, hey, you're not in this alone. We're down here working hard too, you know. But look, let's flip back in 2 Corinthians 8 for a second, and we'll see kind of the inverse so this is in the same letter. You know, Paul writes these big, long letters because that's just how you communicate during this time. So back in 2 Corinthians 8, first couple of verses, he's, he's telling the Corinthians what the Macedonians are doing. So, um, so we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So this is Paul's way of saying, look, you're not in this alone either. You know, you have these churches in Macedonia that are excited, and even though it's a hard time for them, a hard time, they've given above and beyond what we would expect. So it's kind of a nice two-way encouragement. That's part of our role as leaders. Uh, On the next slide... Sorry, giving the Lord the wink. Next slide. Okay. Another part of the role of leadership is to communicate the need. So while it's true, I don't feel like I have to stand up here and beat you up and try to make you feel guilty and all these things that sometimes happen. I just don't feel like that's appropriate or necessary. It is our role to say, guys, here's where we are. Here's the opportunity. Here's the need so that you're not giving blindly so that you understand. Okay, now we're going to be talking candidly about monetary giving. These same principles apply to the in-kind labor that some of you have already approached us about. Any kind of gift where you're giving of yourself, that counts. But to be fair, this text, as well as the message today, does have a, a bit of a monetary focus, so I want to be fair about that. So this is back in verse or chapter 9. This is verses 3 through 5. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that, you may, um, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being uh, so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead, uh, go ahead to you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. When we first started this process, I can tell you from the staff's point of view, one of the hard decisions that we had to make, and we worked with the vision team and we worked with the finance team, how do we communicate this opportunity? And for for those of you that may not be familiar, we had an organization, we'd been searching for a facility, and we had basically a, a local organization, AllSAC, who's the fundraising arm of St. Jude, uh, uh, the CEO came forward and said, hey, we have a building that you can use if you're interested. 
And so obviously that's an exciting opportunity, but it also requires an investment, and so we couldn't just sign without talking to the church. So we had to scramble. We had to get organized. What does that mean? What is this going to cost? And one of the early decisions that we had to make was, when do we tell the church? Because, number one, this was just kind of a side conversation. This wasn't a piece of paper formal offer. So do we wait till it's a formal offer? Do we go ahead and tell them now, even though we don't want to call? You know, we just had to make that decision. We decided communicate early and just be honest about what we knew and didn't know. After that, uh, we had somebody come forward and say, you know, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that because we were in a church that basically signed on behalf of the church without communicating anything this gigantic loan for this new project, and we were on the hook as a church. It's not something we got to discuss. It's not something we understood anything about. So we felt like this was appropriate for us to say, here's an opportunity, here's a need. This, we're not going to force the church to go in this direction. As good as it looks, maybe it's not the right move. It's still going to cost money. Is that where we want to spend our money? It's a church decision. Okay, so, so that's how we've approached it. Hopefully that's, everyone's been comfortable with the level of communication. We're doing the best we can on getting the details as they come out. And then finally, for the, the last part of the leader's role, we have avoiding coercion. And I did spell check that. I didn't know how you spell coercion. I had to look that one up. Second uh, Corinthians 9.5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. What's an exaction? An exaction is when we sit down and we go, all right, we're going to pass the plate until it's full, you know, <laughs> and because we've had a special opportunity today and we need to raise, you know, $10,000 so lock the back doors and here we go. Uh, that's an exaction, okay? Uh, another example Uh, A few verses later, uh, verse 7, Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'll be honest, guys. I'm glad those two verses are in there because I would hate that job. I understand that my role here in the church as an associate is more typically on the business side of things. I help kind of the organizational side of our church and take care of a lot of paperwork and stuff like that, I would never feel comfortable being in a position to come up and browbeat any one of you into giving. I would hate it. I would absolutely hate it. But you know what? It's not biblical. It's not biblical. Uh, There's one example I love using. Uh, I always love Garrison Keillor. Anybody like uh, Garrison Keillor? Hey! I'm not endorsing his theology, but I like his jokes. So uh, he has a, a, a stick that he does about Lutheran air. He's a Lutheran, so he can pick on Lutherans. And uh, it was kind of a, one of these fake commercials uh, for Lutheran Airlines. It says, Lutheran Airs, Airs, the no frills airline. There's no first class on any Lutheran Air flight. Meals are potluck. Everyone is responsible for his or, own, his or her own luggage. All fares are by free will offering, and the plane will not land until the budget is met. <laughs> so a little bit of encouragement there at the end for the giving. We don't want to do that. We feel like if this is something that the church wants to do, that that excitement around the giving will be natural, not coerced. If you ever feel that we're pushing too hard, you've got to let us know. I think that we are so aware. We may be hyper aware of this. We may be aware to the point where we're not asking enough, uh, not just to this group but around us. We're being very careful on the ask side of things. But uh, I just want to offer that. If you ever feel coerced, know on the front that that's a misunderstanding because that is not our intention, even today. Uh, So that is the role of the leader. Now, let's go back to our text, and let's kind of look at the next section. We'll start down on verse 6. It says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. So what is the role of the church, as especially in this role of giving? Well, there are a couple things I want to point out, and these are pretty quick, actually. The first is that you are to give according to your means, okay? You are, as we sit and look around the room, we have people that are, have different backgrounds. We have people that have, of course, different occupations and really even in different life stages, okay? Uh, you know, you're going, you, typically, you're going to be able to be better off financially as you get down the road as opposed to possibly being in the role of a student or waiting tables like I used to do or whatever. Okay, so there's just different life stages. That doesn't mean that you're not to give. It just means that you're supposed to give according to your means. Um, we just read in verse 7, it says, Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. We kind of read that a second ago. But if we look back in chapter 8, we see what that looks like as well. In other words, this isn't pocket change, right? Chapter 8, I should say, not verse 8. Chapter 8. This is verses 2 and 4. So, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty having overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Okay, so the picture of a joyful giver is not the joy that you're not going to have to give very much. It's the, because, hey, I don't make very much, so I don't have to give very much. The idea is I'm bought in. I'm bought in to what the church is doing, whether that's a building or missions or a local outreach or a ministry to St. Jude. Whatever that is that we as a church are trying to do in, in terms of ministry, that your excitement about that, that's where the cheerful giver part comes in. Your excitement about supporting that directly, according to your means, and in some cases, especially as we try to have some stretch goals here as a church, even a little beyond your means, that's appropriate. So it is a challenge, but it's also, I think, interjects some, some realism there that we're not expecting everyone to try to match the highest you know, check. It just isn't a reality of how things come together. And we'll see that as we kind of wrap up the slides and look at this harvest challenge that we're going to consider at the end. So that's the church's role. We looked at the leader's role, looked at the church's role. Now we want to look at God's role. We're going to start down on verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God, thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So what's God's role? Well, the first thing that we see is that God is to provide His grace. Now, that's a church word, okay? So what are we talking about when we say grace? Well, there's kind of a secular meaning, too. You know, we talk about um, having grace in terms of being graceful, maybe in an awkward situation, okay? So this past Wednesday, poor Robbie shows up to our party with no costume on. I, was, I had to exhibit grace to Robbie, <laughs> by not pouring a soda over his head or something, right? So that was me being incredibly kind to Robbie in spite of his actions, okay? 
That's probably not the best example, but I can. So it's the idea of kind of going beyond what you're, you're bound to do, okay? And obviously, in a more serious uh, connotation, we look at the grace of God in our lives in terms of sin and God's grace and as he stepped forward to supply an offering for us. Obviously, a much more serious context. So let's look at these verses. Uh, this is chapter nine, chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all, sufficient, all sufficient, <laughs> sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What that is saying is, again, trying to be realistic this morning, some of you may be in a situation where giving, and giving to ministry maybe in particular, isn't a part of who you've been up until this point. Okay, I know that was at one point true in our lives, at least in my life. And so you feel that, all right, well, if I'm supposed to be this cheerful giver, but I'm also supposed to be you know, giving according to my means, and there's kind of this conflict about if I were really honest, you know, I don't feel like I have it within me to, to write that check and to let go. And what this verse is saying is part of God's role in your life, if you're his child, and let me quantify that, okay, or qualify that rather, if you're his child, if you are a true Christian, if you're a believer and follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit is in your life, in that scenario, God can provide that grace. God can provide the grace that says, I'm able to take that step of faith beyond maybe what I could do in my, in my own flesh. There's another kind of longer example in chapter 8. It says uh, 9 and 12. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I gave my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started only to do this work, uh, who started not only, rather, to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he, he does not have. So you see two things. You see that same message of that you're you know, to, to give as you have, right? We're to give uh, within our means and, and according to our means, I should say. And then we also see this principle that it's, the grace of God, and of course, the, that was exhibited as he, he gave himself to, himself to us. He was rich. He had everything. He's the son of the living God. He's, he's part of the Trinity. And he gave that up to come down into humanity, to, to strip himself of that, to be poor, and, and to take on you know, kind of a, a lowly human, at least, existence for us, for that sacrifice. And he extends that same type of grace to us, to forego what we deserve. You have, in many senses, earned your salary. So what does it take for you to then have to let go of that with really nothing coming in return? It's not a trade at this point. It's a gift. And so we see that ultimate example of that, that grace, that gift. The other thing that we see for God's role is his ability to multiply ministry. How many times have we at the beginning of our offering, ask God to take what we've given and to multiply it for his glory and for his use. We see in nine, verses 9 and 10, it says, He who supplies the seed to the sower, and this is God himself, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in the many thanksgivings of God. So whatever gift that you give, God can multiply that for his use and for his glory and for his ministry. But also he talks about even increasing your generosity. That you know, what, what, what little you have within your own, uh, your own capabilities that he can grow that and he can basically expand your heart for ministry that results in those gifts. 
And then the last thing that we want to look at in terms of God's role is bringing Christ glory. Um, I really do uh, like a couple things here. One, let's step back here. Second uh, Corinthians 9.13 says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and all others. Is there one more slide on that? thought there was something. That, no, go back. thought there was something on the bottom there. Um, you know, the idea, we're in a study right now, by the way, in our small group, where we're studying uh, John Piper, and we're, we're looking at uh, his uh, idea of, of love, and I think it was maybe on a previous slide, and I skipped over it, but it applies here as well. Bringing Christ glory, everything that we do in our life, what is your purpose in, in life? And we're studying this book called Desiring God, where Piper, and we've talked about this before in other contexts, I know Barrett's mentioned it, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, or Piper's variation is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever, either one. And that idea is, whatever you do, your focus really should be on, does this lift God up? And to show others His magnificence and His majesty and His His glory. Things that you do in your life should bring glory to God. Well, a gift like this this passage shows us in a very practical way how that happens. For this community to come together and to raise up this gift offering to then give it to the Macedonians who were hurting, it shows the world around what are they doing? You know, where is this generosity coming from where one community would step forward, even in hard times, to help this other community? And they, as an outsider, look at that and go, who are these people? <laughs> what are they doing? Okay. Last week, we had the opportunity to not meet here, but to do what? Go out into the community and to show God's love in a practical way to those around us. And that took an investment. That took a financial investment, and that took an investment of your time and effort. And we were able to go out, and as we encountered people, you get that reaction. What are you guys doing? You know, why are you here? Why are you not sitting in the church and singing songs? You know, well, we want to bless our community, as we had really all throughout the, the month of October. So same, same situation here. We're looking to invest in this building not only as a place to come and worship on Sunday mornings, but if you've seen the design, we have space dedicated for ministry, and we've talked about how are we going to use this? You know, we can feed the homeless the same way we do through International by using that space. We can offer, you know, occupational training to people in the neighborhood using that space. We can have family play days for the neighborhood by using that space. We can have these medical clinics where folks come in, you know, free of charge for health care they cannot afford by using that space. There are so many ways that we've looked at, and honestly, this was one of the key decisions for do we need the space or not. Because if we're not going to use that throughout the week, maybe we don't need a seven-day facility. That would be a very legitimate choice. But as we looked at the list of things that we could do in terms of ministry, not just ministering to each other, but to our community, to do what? To glorify God, we said, yes, this makes sense. Not just for Sunday morning, but for a home base for ministry. That's the phrase Barrett uses, and it's appropriate. This is a home base for ministry as we move forward to engage the community. And in our context, that brick-and-mortar space is a very helpful thing to have, especially in the the dead heat of that Memphis summer or or as the snow, we don't get snow, as the ice falls in winter. So uh, that is a, a resource that we can use for ministry. So the gifts that you've already given, the gifts that you will give, that go toward that, you need to really understand the practical way that it will bring glory to God. As other people look at what you've done, whether it's brothers and sisters in Christ or the outside community, and say, they love their God. Why are they so excited? Why are they giving up this income to do this? It brings glory to God when you do that. So, 
I want to kind of take this and say, all right, take these principles of what, you know, the leaders are to do, what you're to do and I'm to do as part of the church, and what God has promised to do. And let's take that and now let's look at what our next step is. One of the things that I bet you if I've been asked it once, I've been asked it a hundred times, is can't we get some like thermometer? You know, every fundraising campaign in the world gets a thermometer. It's part of having a campaign. Where's our thermometer? Can we not afford the thermometer? Why don't we have a thermometer? So here's the thermometer. We don't need a drum roll because we didn't bear the drums this morning. But, all right. So there's our thermometer. Here's why you haven't had a thermometer. Is it's a complicated thermometer, okay? First thing you have to do when you build a fundraising thermometer is figure out what the top of the thermometer is, okay? And we're still working on that. I mentioned a second ago, we're still working through design and cost. I've always said, I can't point to the number that this is going to cost us, but I can draw a circle around it, okay? And right now, that circle is somewhere between three and $400,000, okay? And that, I think that's the number we've been sharing consistently over the last, uh, especially the last few weeks, not sure where that's going to fall. We'll know more and more over the next few weeks. But that's where we are. Okay? So let's start at the bottom of this and work our way up. The first thing we have is the initial building fund that was based on a future vision. We had an opportunity a couple years ago that we thought we were going to buy a synagogue. And as we did the cost, it turned out just to not be feasible or wise, so we backed away. But we still made the decision we know we got to go somewhere. So we started a building fund having no idea where we were going to go, and people started contributing it. And what we were able to do is, through that vision, raise the first $26,000, just on kind of forward faith that God would provide an opportunity. I thought it was interesting in that uh, verse in chapter 8 that he talks about a year ago you had this vision, and you started you know, giving, you had this, this, uh, this idea of this gift. And that's kind of the situation we were in. A year ago, we had the idea of this gift and this opportunity. We just didn't know where, when or where it was going to happen. Then as the opportunity came forward, we knew it was a unique opportunity in the sense that we had a very abbreviated time scale to be able to raise the funds for doing the, the work that we need to build out this space. Normally, churches, ha- you know, we'll, we would start a year ahead of time and say, now let's start raising funds together and, you know, working toward this. And then when we're ready, you know, we'll take out a loan to cover the rest. And that's kind of the way it works. Well, we don't want to take a big loan for basically renters' improvements. You know, that's tenant improvements. We're not going to own this space. They are letting us use it for a dollar a year for 10 years. But we're not going to be there possibly after 10 years. Now, uh, and as a side note... They were also writing in the possibility of extensions, so it doesn't mean we're getting kicked out in 10 years either, okay? My hope is we outgrow it in 10 years. But either way, we're not going to take out a 30-year loan on a 10-year tenant commitment, right? So that's non-traditional. You kind of have to throw that approach out the window. And the other situation is, I kind of joked one time in a business meeting that they're going to let us use this space or they're going to knock it down. And the bulldozers are kind of idling in the corner. And so we got to make a decision. Are we going to move forward or not? So the time scale is very much compressed on how, you know, the opportunity that we have to respond. I don't want to turn this into a business meeting. I just want to show you some of why we're doing this the way we're doing this. From that, we had folks that came forward and said, you know what? Uh, I'm ready to write a check now toward this. I'm not sure exactly what the number is going to shake out, but I know we need more than we got. And so I'm ready to write a check. And some folks came forward and said, hey, I'm going to give a $10,000 as a matching opportunity to encourage people to give. And then we had another $10,000 matching opportunity. And as the checks came in, we've been able to climb where if we finish through the end of November, which is our current match, if we finish that match, and I think there's a little over $2,000 left to meet that match, we'll be at a little over $70,000 toward our building fund. Okay, so that's kind of assuming we will finish what we started here. That's kind of where we are now. That's a big delta. Even for the low number, it's a big gap. So how do we finish this off? Well, I don't know exactly what the numbers look at, but as leadership we've talked, and I think our challenge 
for our church is to try to get from here to here, which is about $150,000. When I say that, I'm talking about those of us sitting in the room. I'm also talking about those that were part of the church that have moved on. There are a lot of people that, that one of the things of part of this community is there's a lot of turnover. You have people come in for school or for short-term professional assignments, and they live here for three or four years, and some of those became very much a part of the core of this church, but they had to move. We've already sent letters out to that group to say, you know, we hope that you're still excited about the work of ICC and want to support us. Those of us in the room have home churches that we're starting to reach out and engage friends and family that would have an interest, a common interest. We're not just reaching out to anybody. We're trying to find people that share the same vision for ministry and the same heart for ministry that we do. But basically, if you count that kind of friends and family, our goal is to be able to raise $150,000. What about the rest? Well, we're also doing work where we're reaching out to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The same way that you saw in the text today, one church family supporting another in a time of need, we've been able, especially I think we've, because we've proven ourselves faithful within the church first, we've been able to reach out to other churches that have candidly more means than we do. We've also been able to reach out to our associations. And I can tell you, every time we go tell the story, the, the response is the same. Well, of course, of course we're going to help. You know, let me, you know, we've got to figure out just how. How are we going to do this and what the, what's the timing? The response has been incredible, and that, again, is a compliment and should be encouragement to us as a church that people see what we're doing, they see how hard it is in the area that we're in, and that's just a reality, and they appreciate that God is blessing us. And people have learned, especially people that have been in the faith for a time, go where God's moving. And right now, guys, this church that you're sitting in is where God's moving in downtown Memphis. People see that. And so there are conversations, even this last week, through our, through our different, like I said, partner churches and through some of our associations where they're trying to find uh, you know, funding that they, can, that they can add to our pile and help us work through this. So that's the challenge. Now, if you're like me, you look at that and you go, that's a lot of money. It's <laughs> a lot of money. And we've, a lot of us have already written checks out of our reserves you know, so, I'm, so what, how are we going to do this? Well, this is what we've come up with as, as a way to step forward within our church. Number one, we've already told you that we've provided some resources on the website where we've asked you to reach out and you know, reach out to your home church or friends and family that you uh, know that might want to support this. But within the church, I think we still have an opportunity to continue our giving, and this is what we want to do. Go ahead and do that next slide. What we're going to start today, kind of officially open, is what we're calling this Harvest Pledge, okay? The Harvest Pledge. We understand that because, again, there has been such a great response, our assumption is that a lot of that has come out of reserves, out of basically some savings and some other things that were already built up because so much came in so quick. And so I think we would be at risk of, of trying to... Uh, beat you up a little bit if we said, let's do that again. You know, whatever you wrote last time, you know, add a, add a dollar to that check and send it again. I'm not sure that's a fair strategy. And so what we're saying is we, would, we were asking everyone to consider a weekly commitment over the next year, okay? And here's how that would work. On the pledges on the left, you kind of see what those dollar-per-week pledges might look like, you know, $20 per week as a starter, if you were to give $20 a week above and beyond your standard tithe for the special purpose of a building fund, you're able to give a $1,000 gift. If we get 10 of those pledges, you know, you do the math, that's 10 grand, and kind of works up from there. So, you know, are you able to do that? And why are we asking for a one-year commitment when I thought we're trying to, like, start building in the fall? Well, I said a second ago, we're very hesitant to go out and take, you know, some... 30-year loan. But we would be willing, and again, this is something that would have to go through the finance teams and so forth, but let me just say that there are other strategies that we could use. Something as simple as a line of credit, which banks have already offered us on this, to say if we have 
the church's commitment that not out of our standard budget, but above and beyond, over the next one year, I'm willing to, to give this amount so that whatever we're taking on that line of credit would balance against the commitments, that may help us move in a little quicker. That's why we're looking at what are we able to do as a church. So as we look at those, those pledge levels, you know, we, we just kind of did a couple scenarios. If we get, you know, 10 of each of the pledges, we're practically done. But even if we just take 50 families in this church and we get a blend, you know, based on your means, and I'm not saying these match people's means. I just pulled some of these numbers out as a scenario. But if we can get 30 families or individuals to commit to a $20 a week commitment, uh, 10 at a $40 a week, five at a $60 a week, and just three at 80 with no one committing $100 a week, that gets that $80,000 that makes up the difference between where we are and meeting that $150,000 goal. That assumes nobody's home church writes a check. That assumes nobody from a former ICC member wrote a check, and that assumes that nobody in our current congregation has any significant giving left. So that's a pretty conservative scenario. I put that up there to show you two things. One is it's achievable. It's achievable if we kind of take advantage of a little more extended time and we're willing to, to make the commitment above and beyond. But I also want to show you that we need everybody's involvement. To get from 70 to that 150, we need, the most thing that we need are these $20 commitments. And then we need some of these $40 commitments above and beyond. I am not, we're not what we're not going to do is a roll call and start, and I'll pick on Robbie again. Robbie, what's your commitment today? Okay, We're not doing that. That's the coercion that we talked about earlier. We're just not going to do that. We're going to ask you in your seat or in a seat near you, there are kind of every other chair here, you should have one of these little Harvest Pledge cards. I don't even want you to turn it in today unless you're sure and you've already made a decision of what a weekly above and beyond gift is going to be. But I do want you to take this home, put it on your refrigerator, and begin praying over it. And before the month of November is out, as we pass the offering plate, I would hope that at some point you're able to return this card and say, you can count on me. Now, sometimes when we do volunteer enrollments and things like that, they'll, we'll get the thing of, well, I'll be there, but I didn't fill out a card. This is very important that we receive this card because it's only based on these cards what we're going to assume that we have in terms of a commitment over the next year. Does that, does that make some sense? So even if your heart's in the right place and you intend on giving, you may even go online and set up some weekly gift. That's not going to count in our numbers as we do our projections. We need this card to understand what your commitment is. So take that home, pray over it, and I would hope that you, know, you really do take this seriously. What the, uh, the, the part that I skipped over that I wish I would have slowed down on was the idea of the cheerful giver, and we'll wrap up on this. The reason you're cheerful is not because you heard some pep talk about what a good thing it is to give. The reason you're cheerful is that you believe in what's happening and you're supporting it directly. Uh, the Piper quote that I had skipped over that I meant to slow down on was a quote about love. Can you go back to that for a second? Because I don't want to butcher it. Go back, 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 back. There it is talks about what is love. It says, love is the overflow of joy in God which meets the need of, needs of others. So we were talking at the time where, where God was providing us, and we talked about his grace and enabling his race. It says, love is the overflow of joy. So the idea is that as Christians, if we really are full of satisfaction and, and full of joy, because the way God is satisfying our needs, not just physically, but emotionally, and, and that, that we're in a, a place of satisfaction, as those blessings to continue to pour in, at some point they ought to overflow. That's the idea. And this overflowing as what God puts into your life overflows to others, 
That's, that's how we're enabled for love. That's the grace that we were talking about that God puts into your life is I don't need everything that's coming my way because I'm already satisfied. I'm already content with what I have. And I believe that if I let it overflow in this direction, that that will glorify God and, I, and it will make me happy. I will have joy in that. If you don't feel that way, then don't turn the card in. I'm begging you. Because I would rather we make a decision as a church to back out of this and to go in a different direction and to use our money in a different way than to, for you to have felt coerced into committing to any amount of money over the next year. That's not what we want to do. So I know this has been kind of a, a non-traditional message, message. That's what happens when you get my job every once in a while. So appreciate your patience. I do want to pray for us, and I hope that you see this applies beyond this special opportunity that we have as a church. There are other ministries that are ongoing. Uh, we haven't announced this yet, but you know, we recently received a significant check, a check for over $20,000 towards sponsorship for students to go on missions. That is amazing that somebody was able to step forward and say, you know, I know we've got these other things going on, but God has moved my heart to help people, especially students who are constrained, to go out and have that experience, to go and in, in, you know, travel around the world and the expenses that go along with that. So I don't want us to get so focused on this building that we forget what we're here for. We're here for ministry, and a building is a tool for ministry. So as your giving needs to focus on the ministry. In this case, it's just a, it's a tool that helps us. So let me pray for us. We will have our time of giving and some special music, and then we will close. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We, uh, we do uh, thank you, Lord, for your grace that you've, you've given us. And, uh, Lord, that we want to ask that you would soften our hearts in terms of giving, Lord, but mostly in terms of, of our own sin. And we saw uh, in this text, Lord, the, the reflection back to your gift to us, to your grace gift to us as you died on the cross and, and paid for our sins, Lord. And I ask that if there's anyone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you and doesn't understand what that's like to have the Holy Spirit move in their life to take them to a place beyond who they are, Lord, because of their relationship with you, that they would have the courage today to come forward and ask, you know, what's that about, and that they would take this moment to, to accept you in their life. And, Lord, if there's anyone here that needs a church home and wants to be a part of what you're doing through this church and this community, Lord, that they would feel... Uh, a direct call, Lord, to become a part of this church family or another Bible-preaching church in this community to do your work as a part of the family, Lord. Lord, whatever decisions we have today, I would ask that uh, you give us the courage and, uh, and the willingness to step forward and trust you in response. Lord, thank you for all the blessings in our life and ask that you would guide us as we go forward as a church. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.